Let's go ahead now. Title of the message today is Falling Away. The Falling Away of Hebrews 6. The text says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, if they shall fall away, to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put Him to an open shame. Dear God, I do ask that right now, all who hear this message, in this building or online, God, we do ask that You will indeed make us mindful of this warning and may it happen to none of us, God. May the danger, the falling away, happen to none of us. We thank you, Holy God, Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I want you to look at, it's talking about true believers here. There's two views that are wrong. One is the so-called Arminian view. And it says that these are true believers, but they're losing their salvation and going to an eternal hell, internal hell, an eternal lake of fire, forever, forever and ever. The other view is a Reformed Calvinist view, even though some of them reject this, uh, what I'm about to say. And they say, the people here that Paul is writing to were never really saved. They just got a little bit saved. Actually, they say they don't get saved at all. They're really imposters. They're fake Christians. They never really truly believed in their heart. It's impossible to lose your salvation in eternity because it's a free gift. And it's by the righteousness of Christ. How can your righteousness have anything to do with it? All of your sins right now were future to the Lord Jesus when He died for you. Every sin in our life, past, present, future, has been wiped away. Now, if you teach that without the judgment seat of Christ, then people are going to presume upon God. They'll be more prone to it. That's why Paul is giving us warnings. That's why we have the judgment seat of Christ. God will never take away your eternal salvation. You have the righteousness of Christ. But God wants the righteousness of Christ living out in your life. And if you don't allow that to happen, then He's going to discipline you in this life. And if you still don't allow that to happen, you're going to meet with some trouble at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not going to go good for you. Now, let's establish that it is the context here of a true believer. It says it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Unbelievers don't have light. They don't have the light of the gospel. They don't have the light of the Holy Ghost. Paul even says in uh, chapter 10, talking about when you were illuminated. So in the book of Hebrews, 
To be enlightened, to be illuminated, means that you're saved. Have tasted of the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift, some say, is the Holy Ghost. Others say is the gift of eternal salvation. They're both true. Because the Holy Ghost is the earnest, the down payment for you right now. Unbelievers don't have the Holy Ghost. And they certainly have not tasted of the heavenly gift. Somebody says, well, they just tasted it, you know. They didn't really digest it. Well, that's not true. Because in this epistle, Paul uses the word tasted. He says, Jesus tasted death for every man. Jesus tasted death for every man. He didn't just mildly taste death. He experienced death. He's talking to true believers that were enlightened, that have received the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. If they shall fall away, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Philip Morrow, in 1912, or before, says, then again, only a believer can fall away. How can you fall from something you never had? The unbeliever has nothing of God from which he can fall away from. The passage speaks of the impossibility of renewing persons that are referred to again. The unbeliever has never been renewed at all. Consequently, the passage cannot apply to such. Now, let's consider the time or place of this falling away. When does it occur? There will be a falling away at the coming judgment seat of Christ for believers. That is, some Christians will fall away, not to eternal damnation, but they will fall away as they stand before their judge. They will not be allowed to dwell and reign in the coming millennial kingdom on earth. And they will also fall into condemnation there, not eternal condemnation. But he will analyze your life to see what you have done, what you haven't done, that you should have done. All of that, every idle word, Everything that you have not repented of and confessed to God and turned from, you will receive at the judgment seat of Christ, depending upon how much mercy He shows us. Let me show you that there is a falling at the judgment seat of Christ. When you turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, let us... Paul means us, Christians. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We ought to be provoking. People say, well, that person's provoking. Well, we shouldn't provoke in a sinful way, but we should be provoking in a godly way. And that doesn't always feel good to the flesh. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
And the Lord Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is the love of God, that you keep my commandments, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You're living at an hour before midnight. You, you, you might only have a few more minutes till God's midnight right now. I, I mean, we are so close. I will tell you this, absolutely. I defy anybody to prove it wrong. The majority of the Christians in the past, the majority of them did not see how it could go past. They, they didn't believe you'd go to 2024. They said this whole thing's up by the year 2000. Maybe a little bit after. Maybe a little bit before. They said, that's the schedule. But since God says He can come suddenly and surprise us, we better be ready even hundreds of years before the year 2000. We're on the other side of the year 2000. As you see the day approaching, as you see Israel's a nation, as you see the world government forming, as you see the apostasy, the falling away of the churches as you see everybody living for pleasure, as you see the idolatry among God's people, as you see all of these things, you know the day is approaching. So stay in church. Consider one another. Provoke one another. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, this is talking about there's nothing that you can go do. You better go to your high priest. There's only one sacrifice, his shed blood. But that blood is there for you to confess your sins in the Christian life. Not so you can be saved in eternity, but so you can escape coming judgment. But when you go out here and sin, some terrible sin, you have a, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. God doesn't want you living like this in the Christian life. Confess your sins and don't sin. He'll give you power. But he that despised Moses' law back in the Old Testament died without mercy under two or three witnesses. They were stoned to death. That was under Moses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. It's crucifying Christ again in effect. He can never be crucified again. But, but you're basically saying, I despise your sacrifice. I despise the forgiveness that you gave me. I despise my salvation. And you're going to despise the Spirit of God and His grace. Now, the only way you can experience something worse than what they experienced in the Old Testament under Moses is if it's beyond physical death. This has to be at the judgment seat of Christ. The whole context is the judgment seat of Christ for believers. 
You can't read an unbeliever in here. But notice, he goes on in the next few verses, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge the unbeliever. Is that what it says, church? The Lord shall judge his what? People. The whole context here is God's people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is a fall. You can fall into the hands of the living God here in this life, but the context here is something worse than stoning in the Old Testament. This is falling into the hands of the living God in judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. So there is a falling at the judgment seat of Christ. But it tells us, if you remember, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. Wherever this falling away occurs, it's impossible to repent. It's impossible to be renewed unto repentance. But at the return of the Lord Jesus, when judgment begins at the house of God, it's not that you can't repent. Many will repent. Probably every believer will repent at that day. The problem is, is not that you cannot repent at the judgment seat of Christ, is your repentance doesn't matter anymore on that day. What I mean is, it is not the place of repentance. If a judge tells you, okay, I tell you what, I'm not going to put you in jail. I'm going to give you one more chance. You go out there and get this right. You get all those things cleared up. Get this stuff paid. Get all this stuff right in your life. And then you go out and don't do what he said. And then you come back before the judge and you say, I'm really, really sorry. And he says, I'm glad that you're sorry, but it's not going to help you right now. The place for being sorry was when I told you you had an opportunity now to get this right. This isn't the place to be sorry. It's not going to matter. You've already not done what I told you to do when I gave you grace. So the whole purpose of the Bible is now is the day of repentance. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to confess your sins and get cleaned up in the Christian life and turn away from sin and, and, and any repenting that you need to do, do it now, not then. Or put it this way, the judgment seat of Christ is not the place for it. Why? Because it's too late. It's too late for your repentance to make any change. And what's about to happen to you then? And the decision at the judgment seat is to decide whether or not you get the crown so you can reign with Him on earth in the kingdom of God. But many He's going to say to them, 
you can't reign with us. You can't reign with us. You're excluded. It's too late for you. And you can beg. And you can say, I'm sorry. And you can say, I really am serious now. See, you've got to understand there is a place for repentance. A place, an opportunity when it can make a difference. But you can get to a place where it doesn't make a whole lot of difference as far as changing the consequences. Even in this life, God forbid, somebody decides they're going to look at alcoholic wine. And they start getting around people that say, it's okay to drink a little bit, it's okay to drink a little bit. And before you know it, they're addicted to alcohol, they're a drunkard. It can be like that with any sin. You better watch who you hang around with. You better watch what entertainment you ingest. And now that they're a drunkard, they end up driving drunk. And God forbid they kill somebody. And there may be great repentance. There may be great sorrow as they think about what they have done. But no matter what degree the drunkard repents, they cannot bring that life back. There are consequences that cannot change. There can be unchangeable consequences, even in this life. Let me give you one example. Here's Esau. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, lest there be any fornicator. Or profane person. That's just a person who doesn't care much about religious things. They're profane. Don't care, they don't care about church. They don't care about the ordinances of church. They don't care about all this stuff. You know, they're worldly. They want to play around in the world. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, profane person as Esau. That's why they call taking the Lord's name in vain profanity. You're not considering God, man. You're living your life and you're not considering God. You're profane. You're not spiritual. Lest there be a fornicator or a profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, the firstborn blessing, he was rejected. Does it say because he didn't repent? No, you better believe he repented. He cried with tears. The problem was, there's no place for repentance here. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Please let this be the place. But Father God said, no, this isn't the place. You've already sold this to your brother, so your brother gets your blessing. I hope you enjoyed that bowl of lentils and Esau probably did enjoy it but when you get out here in this world you better always remember it's the pleasures of sin for a season whatever I sow I got to reap payday's coming and you might have forgot about it God hadn't forgot and you say God I am so sorry for that this isn't the place And God can easily show you how many sermons you heard. How many people He brought to your life to warn you the judgment seat of Christ is coming. 
Christ came the first time. He will come the second time. There were signs of His first coming. There are signs of His second coming. And if you're already starting to see signs of Him coming at the end of the tribulation period, how much closer is His coming at any moment? Because judgment has to begin at the house of God. Now listen. This is what Paul's talking about. People after death or at the coming of Christ, they can repent. In the sense, all, all repent means is to turn from. You can turn from something emotionally, so you're sorry about it. You can turn from something mentally and say, I changed my mind about that. I'm not going to ever do that again. You can change, you can turn from something in your actions. I, I'm, I'm not touching that again. Now, when you go to get saved, the repentance that's required is you repent from trusting in your dead works. You repent from trusting in your dead works that cannot save you, and instead you trust in Christ. You turn from trusting yourself or whatever it is you're trusting in, and you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, then you go to live your Christian life. There are things you do or do not do that may result in judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. There was a rich man in Luke chapter 16. He was very rich on earth. And it doesn't really say he did anything wrong actively. It's what he didn't do. There was a beggar laid at his gate, Lazarus. And every day he saw that beggar and stepped aside and went back into his beautiful mansion or whatever it was. And all of a sudden he died. And angels began to carry his ghost, his spirit. And he says, what, what, what are we doing? He says, we're taking you where you're going to go. And all of a sudden it took a downturn. In hell, he opened his eyes. Now, you look and hear what that man says. He was very sorry. He was upset. And he said, somebody please go tell. I, I have brothers. I have brothers. Somebody go tell them that this is all for real. Don't tell me that somebody at the face of judgment or in their judgment cannot repent. The problem is not that they can't change their mind about everything. The problem is it's too late. Even at the judgment seat of Christ for believers, you better believe there's some repenting going on when you see all of these thousands and tens of thousands and thousands of angels and how mighty they are. And then you see the Lord Jesus Christ seated upon His throne and coming in flaming fire and all of these angels and thousands and thousands and thousands worshiping Him. And you see God. You see the Lord. And you're at His judgment throne to give account. You better believe there'll be repentance. If Nineveh repented because Jonah came out of a well, you better believe you're going to repent when you see the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I don't care how backslidden you've been. You're going to talk a different talk there at the judgment seat. Now, you might still be sinful and try to talk the Lord Jesus into forgiving you by some sneaky kind of way, but it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says in Matthew 25, afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He could say, oh, oh, so you want to get in the kingdom now? Suddenly now this is important to you? Oh, it's very important to us now. It's too late. Not because you're not repenting. It's too late because this is not the place for repenting at the judgment seat of Christ. It can do you no good. The Lord Jesus said to His disciples, listen to me, Luke chapter 13, strive, strive to enter into the straight gate. That means the difficult, narrow gate. In opposition to that easy, broad way of living. Strive to enter in at the straight gate for many I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. That's to enter in to the coming kingdom through the narrow gate. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Paul says in Philippians 3 that I might know him, that I might have fellowship with his sufferings, that I might be obedient like Him, that I might know Him and know Him in His sufferings. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, for He presses for the mark of the high calling for the prize. All of this means that the falling away is not at the judgment seat. Because whatever falling away Paul is talking about it's impossible to repent after it happens. I believe it has to be, therefore, before death, before Jesus Christ comes in the sky. It has to be right here in this life. You as a believer can fall away and get to such a state of hardness and stubbornness that nobody can ever wake you up. And you're going to exist in that state until either you die or Jesus comes in the sky. The context is true believers. So now we got to ask, what in the world is this fall that I can take? I, I don't want to fall in such a way that I can never wake up. That I just exist along for however many years I have left. First thing I want you to know about this is there is a type of fall which is not a fall in sin. It's a fall in tribulation. Sometimes when you see in the Bible it talks about falling, it's talking about falling into troubles. Trials, hard trials. He says in James, uh, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. D don't count it joy when you're being tempted 
with lust and all these types of things. He's not talking about that. He's counted all joy when you're going through some hard trials and it gives you an opportunity to show God your patience. When you realize God must have something that He needs to work in you or something that He wants to show others by your faith as you go through your trial. Obviously, when you fall into trials in this way, like Job, that's not your fault. Whatever fall this is, it's something you need to repent of. The problem is, you're not always going to be able to do that. There are falls in the Christian life and to sin to varying degrees for various time periods. And some people fall and they never get up. They never get up. No matter how hard you try to wake them, no matter how much you try to shake them, they just don't wake up. But they'll smile and they'll talk about the weather. They'll talk about all kinds of things. They might even be enjoyable to talk to if you're in the flesh. You're never talking about really anything spiritual or deep. It's just everything's bubble gum and cupcakes and just, you know, pop idols and just, oh, this is just great. Oh, yeah, you're just profane and carnal is what you are. Are you even alive spiritually? Did you hear what just happened in the Middle East? Did you hear about the earthquake? Did you hear what, 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 what's going on now doctrinally in some churches? Do you realize what's happening all around us? Mm, it, it, it's almost they're not even there. They don't care. They really don't care. What happened to them? They're gone. The light is out. I have seen this happen to people. Some of them, you still have hope that maybe it'll come back on. They're not dead yet. But it appears that they're, they're out for good. There are some general falls in the Christian life that may not result in this permanent falling away. Second Peter says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things about the second coming, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You can, you can fall from the way you used to live. You can fall away from that zeal you used to be fastened, rooted, steadfast in some things, but now you're playing with things that just a few months or a few years ago you would have never touched. You'd have been ashamed. But after you mess around with it a little bit, now you're not convicted anymore. You're hardened a little bit. See, Now you get even more hardened. And pretty soon you're doing things and, and you say, wow, you've really changed. You would have never done this just a few years ago. And they say, oh yeah, yeah, I've changed, but I haven't really realized I've changed. Oh yeah, you wouldn't believe the changes. Do you believe this anymore? This isn't wrong? And then you giggle about it and say, oh no, no, you know, I'm not legalistic anymore. And There are fallings that are very dangerous. And what I'm telling you is this. 
don't gamble with any fall. Always move forward. Always get better and better and better, reaching for perfection. Never turn back and slide back. Never be less of a Christian than you were before. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to get better and better. And I'm telling you, if you begin to slip back, you are gambling with God. Now, if you talk to a lot of Christians and you say to them, what could happen if I start flirting with sin and I start going backward? Maybe I'm not as bad as my neighbor over here, but, but I'm worse than I used to be. What's the danger? Well, a lot of Christians... Maybe not a lot of them, but it used to be at one time. A lot of Christians would say, God could kill you. You might die. God can punish you by taking your life. Now, should you gamble with God taking your life? You should not. I've baptized people. It said, I, I, will you baptize me, Brother Foss? I, I, I want to join church. I want to get right. And uh, man, I'm stirred up. I want to get baptized. A couple of weeks later, they're back in the world. And I'm like, oh man, somebody call them. That, that's dangerous. That's dangerous to have this light, to, to, make this, the, 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 to, to make this stand for God and, and to begin living the Christian life and holiness. And then all of a sudden, you're just going to turn back. Call them. Try to get their attention. I'll try to get their attention. Next thing I know, Brother Foss, they just went out to the lake this weekend and their neck got broke. I bet he thought he had years of backsliding. And God didn't even give him a few weeks. God said, that's what you're going to do? That's what you're going to do? Don't you gamble with God taking your life. You say, well, I have to be really, really, really bad for God to do something like that. That's what they thought in Acts chapter 5. So there was a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they had some property. And they said, you know, I'm going to sell this because we're being persecuted. And uh, I'm going to sell this. And they did. But then they went and told the church that they're giving money to the church the full price. But what they actually did was pocketed some of the money and then gave the church the rest of it. Now, when the apostles held them accountable because God told them to, Peter, Peter said, why did you do that? The property was yours. You didn't have to donate it to the church. But the problem is, why didn't you just come to the church and say, you know what, I'm keeping half of it, but I'm going to give half of this property to the church. That would have been a great blessing. Instead, they said, hey, we gave everything to the church, but they actually kept back. Peter said, you not only lied to man, you lied to the Holy Ghost. You lied to God. And boom! They died that second. 
Then the wife came in. God killed her. Now the Bible says something very interesting. The Bible says, and fear came upon the whole church. They said, whoa. God takes the church very, very seriously. This is scary. i got to watch what I'm doing. They were already stirred up in serving God, but now they have greater fear about this thing. Then you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They're having the Lord's Supper. But like, you know, the pastor, we're trying to have the Lord's Supper. We're trying to think about the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood. We're trying to have a religious moment. But people are over there talking and laughing and giggling and running over and eating the food and they're doing all this stuff. And they're not having a very spiritual time at all. They're very carnal. It's like, hey, y'all want to come join us over here? Ah, y'all go ahead. Oh, we know what it represents. You know, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, see this? I'm enjoying it right now. That they were just making light of the Lord's Supper. It'd be like getting baptized and saying, oh, I'm swimming around, I'm having a good time. You're not taking it serious. Well, Paul says, many of you are sick now because of how you're despising this church ordinance. And some of you have died. God has killed some of you. Some of those in your church that have died recently, God killed them because of their actions in regard to the Lord's Supper. So what we see here is that God takes His church and the ordinances of the church very, very seriously. Even in the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, it says that there was a man named Uzzah. He was not likely a priest. And he had the Ark of the Covenant. And he put it on a card. God said, don't do that. You're supposed to carry it with stabs. But the oxen began to stumble. So he reached over and touched the Ark of the Covenant. And God killed him at that moment. And just like the early church when Ananias and Sapphira died, great fear came upon them. The Bible says David became very afraid. And he was displeased. What are we, what are we learning? We're learning... Let us not gamble with God's judgment of death. In the same way, let me say to you this. Let's not gamble with the falling away. Don't say, I think I can fall into sin this much. I'll be okay. I'll be able, I'll have my mind and I'll be able to repent. Hey, but you might die. Remember all these stories in the Bible? Don't gamble with God. The more light you had before, the more responsibility you have. So, you say, I don't think God will kill me. But I'm going to do this for about a year maybe six months, and then I'm going to come back to God and get really serious about my Christian life. But three months later, well, you said you were going to repent. Oh, I, I still intend to. You talk to them a year later, if they're still alive. 
They say, what are you even talking about? Do you even know what repentance is anymore? And they look at you all glassy-eyed, and, and nobody's home. I, I tell you, you could talk to Christians, and nobody's home anymore. Oh, they'll talk about worldly things. They're home there. But they're not home spiritually anymore. And what has happened? What's happened if they've been put on the shelf? God says, I'm not going to deal with them. They'll still receive the providence of God. They'll receive the sowing in the flesh. They'll receive the things of God, that the hard knocks of life. But God is not dealing with them anymore. Now you say, what if that's already happened to me? If you want to repent, you can. But the people that this has happened to, they don't want to repent. They have no fear of God. Everything's play. This is very important because you might see somebody and you might look over at them like the psalmist did and you might say, you know, that brother's not really going through much trouble. That sister's not going through much trouble. And look at them how worldly they are. Especially with the light that they've had. And you begin to see some judgments upon their life and, and that type of thing. But in reality, you're looking and you're like, God has not killed them. Not that you want Him to kill them. God forbid, but, but you notice, I, I don't think they've suffered any judgment really for what they're doing. Well, number one, understand that a lot of times God says, I'll take care of it at the judgment seat. They think they're getting away with it, but just wait till the second coming and you'll see nobody gets away with anything. That's where everything gets evened out. But other than that, understand there is another danger. Don't expect somebody to get out here and sin and become worldly and carnal and then automatically God just kills them. That might happen. I've seen it over and over and over. It scares the daylights out of me every time I see it. But there's something else that should scare the daylights out of you. A lot of times God doesn't kill them. But He judges them in a way that's just as worse. They're like walking dead. They laugh. They play. They do whatever they want to do. They talk conversations. They look like they're just going through life. But they are dead spiritually. They might even go to church. But they are dead spiritually. They have no care. No burden. And they will not repent. And after a while, you begin to think, I, that, that person might have been judged by God. It might not be able to wake them up. The gamble isn't only that God may kill you in a backslidden or lazy state. It's not only that He may return and catch you at the second coming. The third danger is that sin hardens you. And it might end up hardening you so much that you never become unhardened. Pastor Dixon at the end of his ministry says, Brother Faust, some people just get so far out drifting from the shore, they never get back. He says, I've seen it in 
the decades of my ministry. That they just can't ever get back. See, the Bible says, Hebrews 3, exhort one another daily. Daily. Not just on the Lord's Day. He said, go to church on the Lord's Day. People need you and you need them. But daily, exhort one another. You doing okay? You all right, brother? Things going all right? And then by exhorting others, you'll exhort yourself. It'll get you in the Spirit. Lest any, while it's called today, listen to that. Exhort one another daily while it's called today. Because you don't want it to be tomorrow. You don't want to be at the judgment seat of Christ or be dead or be hardened. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and you can't get them back anymore. You say, well, they're kind of drifting over there. Oh, they're kind of falling away from what they used to be. That's dangerous. That is so dangerous. Say, brother, you, you were better than this uh, not, not long ago. Listen to me, brother. You, you, need to, you need to shake yourself. You might not get back, brother. Okay, you're going the wrong way and you're slipping. And, and I need you to get back over here and start moving forward because this is dangerous, brother. You, you might get zapped, man. Your candle might get blown out. You might get hardened. And nobody can get you back. So Paul says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Principles mean first principles. He doesn't want to talk about elementary things. He says, I don't want to discuss this basic stuff. Some churches you go every week, it's how to be saved, how to be saved, how to be saved, how to be saved. It's how to, they don't even get past how to be saved. There's other elementary principles. They're just always discussing those things. And you need to do that for the babes and for any unsaved that have come among you. But the point is, is you need to teach Christians mature things. And he says, I want to leave these basic things, and I want to go on to perfection. Meaning, I want to talk about how you can be a mature Christian with your high priest right now, using his power, confessing your sins. And continuing to grow. That's what I want to talk about, says Paul. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, the basic doctrines, let us go on into perfection, the more mature doctrines, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. I don't want to write something to you about the common salvation, about how to turn from your own works to believing in Christ. Remember, Jude was going to write about the common salvation. And the Holy Ghost said, no, you need to tell them about the last days and how people aren't going to fear God anymore. That's what you need to tell them about. Paul says, I want to talk about our high priest Jesus and how you can confess your sins and get power and grace right now if you take advantage of it. I want to show you how it's not the Levitical priesthood anymore. We have the Melchizedek priesthood. I want to show you so many things about the Lord's present ministry. I don't want to talk about these things here, about how to get saved, and all this basic stuff in your Christian life. Of the doctrine of baptisms. After you get saved, after, after, after you turn from your own works and trust in Jesus, what's the next thing you're supposed to do? Get baptized. So he said the doctrine of baptism. He's not talking about Jewish stuff. This is New Testament. And there's an S on baptisms because back then, once you believed in Jesus, and they said, you believe in the Lord Jesus? They say, I believe. 
They say, okay, let's get water baptized. And when you got water baptized, back then the Holy Ghost would come upon you and give you the gift of the Holy Ghost for service. Sometimes it was supernatural signs and wonders that you were able to do, you know. That, that was in the apostolic days. And that was more prevalent. And of the laying on of hands. Baptism is not some Jewish thing. It says in John 1, And I knew him not, says John the Baptist, but he that sent me to baptize with water. God sent John to baptize. Matthew 21, the baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven or men? You say, why do we get baptized in water? Is that something the Jews did in the Old Testament? That has nothing to do with what Jews did in the Old Testament. The Lord called John to baptize and told him to do it. So Paul is saying, I don't want to talk about how to be saved. I don't want to talk about baptisms. I don't want to talk about the laying on of hands. You say, what is that? Well, after they were baptized, water baptized, they would lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost in this supernatural power sense for service. Right now, if you believe on Christ, you get the Holy Ghost inside of you. But they were getting the Holy Ghost for service, you know, speaking in new languages, getting supernatural gifts and things, you know. There's also a laying on of hands where it says in Timothy, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. It suddenly means quickly. It means don't see somebody on fire and say, you know what? Let's all come over and lay our hands on them and make them a pastor and send them out to pastor another church. Or maybe we'll make them an associate pastor in this church. Uh, you say, well, why would you want to do that? They say, well, they're on fire for God. How long have we known them? How long have they been on fire for God? Let's test them a little bit. Let's test them a little bit. That's what the Bible's saying. So laying hold of hands uh, was sometimes... For healing, sometimes it was um, for putting somebody in the ministry. When Paul and Barnabas were sent as missionaries, they laid their right hands on them and prayed for them and sent them out. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So we're going to go preach to Gentiles and get them saved. They're going to go to the Jews and get them saved. But they gave them the right hands of fellowship. It says in Acts 13, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. If you put somebody into a ministry, into service, it's good to come and pray and put your hands on them. And what you're saying is, I endorse this person. I endorse this person. And what you, you, you don't want to have your hands on the wrong person, see. So Paul says, I don't want to discuss any of this stuff. I don't want to deal with these things. I don't want to deal with how to get saved and the doctrine of baptism and the laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Meaning, I don't want to just prove to you that there's a resurrection. You should already know that. You should already know there's two resurrections, one before the kingdom and one after the kingdom. 
And we're hoping for the one before the kingdom. But if you're, if you're a believer, everybody gets the one after the kingdom if you're saved. But he said, I don't want to just deal with these basic things. That yes, you're going to have a resurrection that's coming. Yes, you need to be baptized. I, I don't want to talk about these things. Not right now. I want to go on to more mature things in the Christian life. Not that all of this isn't very important. But it's elementary. You should have learned this in the first few months of your salvation. And this we will do if God permit. What does he mean? He means I will go on and you're going to understand these things if God allows us to. He means if God allows me to explain it to you, and you receive it, if you're able to receive it, if God permits you to understand the deeper things, praise God. Because I really want to show you about your high priest, Jesus. He says, we will do. I don't want to preach to people and have them look like dead men and say, I don't understand a word he's saying. Oh, that's so sad. A preacher knows you can find people that are on fire for God and they're hungry. And they momentarily put aside whatever's going on and they hear God in His Scriptures and the Holy Ghost. And they know the Holy Ghost is dealing with them. Though it be an ass that's talking to them. They know the Holy Ghost is speaking. Through the foolishness of preaching, God saves. And He does the same thing with His people. And Paul's basically saying this. I want to take you to the mature things. But what if you aren't able to be taken there? What if even worse? You can never be taken there. What if you remained a babe for so long, God has said, okay, you know what? Uh, you, you just sit there and be a babe. I'll, I'll see you at the judgment seat of Christ. Remember he says in John 15, abide in Jesus, abide in the vine as a branch. But those that don't abide, they're cast forth. But he says, those that do abide, he purges them. Somebody says, hey, ha, 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 God's leaving me alone. I'm not getting poked about anything. And then there's another Christian that said, I'm getting poked everywhere, man. God is on me. God doesn't let me do anything. God, God is just, just riding me and putting me through things. He's just perfecting me and hammering me here and cutting me here and shaping me here. He, he's, just, he's just on me. Well, that's because you're bringing forth fruit. That's because God, that's God says, now this is one that's bringing forth fruit. Let's work on them. Let's work on them. They're going to be perfected. They're going to be one of the ones that are going to reign with me in my kingdom. But if you just say, I don't want to grow, I don't want to grow, God says, please, I'm striving with you, please, I'm going to try to give you some chastisement to see if you could uh, change your mind about that, I'm going to give you some warnings, I'm going to rise up early and get people to preach to you, I'm going to do everything I can to try to convict you and plead with you, please, please, grow, quit being a baby, quit being carnal, quit loving the world, I was crucified because of these things. And there comes a time when he says, you know, I'm not going to strive with you anymore. We'll see you at the judgment seat. 
you've been allotted, oh, about this long to live, uh, and I'll see you at the judgment seat. God forbid that we're ever put on a shelf, man. God forbid that we're ever hardened and God just, in one sense, takes His Spirit from us and the glory is departed. You say, preacher, I'm afraid that might have happened to me. If you want to repent, you can do it right now. You might not be able to do it tomorrow. You might be dead, Jesus might come, or God might turn the light out. But if you're willing, right now today, then God is still having mercy. While it's called today, don't wait till tomorrow, because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. While it's called today, Because you've got three dangers. Jesus comes tonight or today. Or God kills you. Or God just says, I'm not going to strive with you anymore. Get ready to miss the kingdom. Enjoy the world while you got it. He says in Hebrews 5, before chapter 6, of whom we have many things to say. I want to talk about the high priest. And hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. This we will do if God permit. I want to discuss the deeper doctrines, says Paul. But I might not be able to. This we will do if God permit. For it, for, for, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, that's the millennial kingdom, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. It was for those things that you want to stay in that crucified Jesus. He had to come die. That's the only way you could be saved. Sin crucified the Lord Jesus. Why would we walk in it? Why would we want to stay in it? Why wouldn't we want to be the best Christians that we could ever be? Not bitter, not stubborn. It's as if you're about to freeze and become stiff and somebody around you say, we've got to keep moving. We've been stranded out here. We've got to keep moving. Move. Move, move your arms. Take, take your leg. Move your fingers. We can't allow anything. In the early colonies, those Christians and Baptists that came over here to flee persecution, they couldn't believe the storms and the cold, and they would get out and try to work their farms, and sometimes their fingers would fall off. It was horrible. But you've got to move. You're becoming stiff. Or perhaps you're clay in the sun and you need moisture of the Word. You need the water of the Word. And you've got to be stirred. You've got to continue being stirred. We've got to stir up. You say, I know the truth. I know we've got to stir it up. I'm trying to remind you to stir you up. Because you're starting to dry. You don't realize how hard you're getting. And the person that's freezing, they say, I don't want to move. I don't want to move. Leave me alone. No, you've got to move. You've got to move. Somebody that's got a limb that's getting stiff on them, the doctor will come up and say, you've got to move this thing. You've got to move it. It's getting stiff. It's drying up. See, you don't use something, you lose it.
The disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 13, Why do you speak unto the people in parables? He said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Oh, that's what he's saying. If you respond to God, he'll give you more. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not is not responding. From him shall be taken away even that he has. Therefore speak out of them in parables. Because they seeing see not. And hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. For this people's heart is wax gross. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And should understand with their heart. It should be converted and I should heal them. This is God walking away from some people. He says, I'm purposely hiding the truth from them because they're so stubborn. They've shown me that they want to be stubborn. They've shown me that they don't want to respond to me. So you know what? I'm veiling it in parables. And they're not going to understand. They're not going to understand. But it's given unto you to know. It's given unto you to know these things because you've been responding to me, says God. This is a principle that he has for unbelievers and believers. You better understand the same principle works with believers. You respond to light, you're given more light. And you come closer to God. You say, I don't want to come any closer to you. I don't want to respond to this. I'm fine where I'm at. Then God takes away His glory. God takes away some. The early Christians in the colony said, the Holy Spirit will not be totally taken from you, but He can be taken away from you in part. Now, what puts all this together, let me read you a verse here, and then we'll close. 2 Timothy 2 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, that means maybe, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Why does he say that? Why does he say if you see a backslidden believer in meekness, don't get, don't get all haughty and say, oh, I'm better than you. Hey, you might be the one in the pit next time that somebody's got to pull out. But go to them in meekness and tell them, Brother, sister, please turn from this wicked sin. God expects more. God will give you power. He died for you. You've got eternal life. Why do you want to treat God like this? In meekness, plead with them. Considering yourself, you might be next that somebody's got to plead with. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance. He might not. God said, I'm not, I'm not giving them repentance. I've been trying to strive with them over and over, and they, they don't want to grow. How many times did he tell Jeremiah and the prophet, just leave them alone? Just leave them alone. Sometimes he told Moses with his own people, he said, get up away from them. I'm just going to kill them and leave them alone. And Moses said, God, please don't. Please don't. Give them one more chance, God. He says, I'm done with them. I'm done striving with them. That's how God is. He loves you. And He knows you will be with Him for all eternity if you've trusted in Him. But He's not playing around with this prize. He's not playing around with His church. He's not playing around with holiness. Sin put the Son of God on the cross. It's nothing to play around with. Church is serious. Being a Christian is serious business. You say, what about the joy of the Lord? You'll find joy when you start living right for God and get a good conscience. You'll find joy when you get your confidence about reigning with the Lord Jesus. And even though the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord with trembling. Don't, don't get the wrong balance here. 
knowing the goodness and severity of God. I talked about the goodness last week. I'm talking about the severity this week. You'll never know. He says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. See, they went out there and he says, I can touch this stuff. I, I can receive all these worldly people and sick vomit. I can receive it all into my heart, to my ears, to my eyes. And, and it's not going to change me. It's not going to change me. And all of a sudden, the devil's snare grabs a hold of them. Now they're addicted to porn or they're becoming a lesbian or, or they're, who knows what in the world's happening in their life. Maybe they're just cold and far away from God now. They're ensnared. How do you get them out? I don't know. You pray for them. You plead with them. You continue to pray. And you plead with them. But there comes a time when he says in Timothy, let them alone. Come away from them. Get away from them. They're not going to grow. They're not going to grow. I don't think God's going to give them repentance. We never know who that is. We keep trying. We keep trying. And we need to have this healthy fear in our life that this might happen to us. Maybe God had something for you to do. A great preacher just said to me the other day, he said, Pastor Faustine, this is really shaking me up, this judgment seat of Christ teaching. And even though I'm elderly, this is, this is shaking me up. And I'm going and looking at my whole life and I'm realizing it's not that I did anything really horrible. It's what I didn't do. It's battles that I didn't stand up for. It's things I, I didn't do. And this is terrifying me. See, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Sometimes it's, that man just took his talent and put it in the the ground and covered it and gave it back to the Lord. It's what he didn't do. It's not what he did. That woman at the well got saved and 10, 15 minutes later she was getting the city saved. And you're telling me you can't live 15 years in Jesus and not get one soul saved? Do you even try? 20 years? 30 years in Jesus? 40 years in Jesus and you can't get a soul saved? Well, I don't know a lot. What did the woman know? She knew Jesus saved her. Go tell somebody that. Amen? Oh, let's get to work for God. Let's get to work for God. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. That's the good Christian. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. That's the fiery judgment seat of Christ. But beloved, says Paul, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, though we speak this way. That salvation there is not eternal salvation. That's the full salvation. That's millennial salvation. He's going to go on and tell you uh, in the next few verses and throughout the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the thousand-year kingdom. He's talking about the seventh day. The full salvation is not only getting eternity, but getting the prize, the second blessing of the millennial kingdom. You'll see that in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Hebrews 2.5 and other places. Paul is saying, you know, I'm afraid of you. I do hope that when I begin to discuss these things, God will give you understanding. I know many of you are still babies and it's hard for me to explain it to you. 
But you need to know about your high priest so you can confess your sins and know he's there for you to give you mercy. But Paul says there's also a danger that God might have left you alone already. But I'm persuaded that's not true. I'm persuaded because I see other things in your life that I think God's still working with you. And I think you're still, I, I think you're going to listen to me. And I think you're going to grow. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying. And he goes on to explain that in detail at the end of this chapter. He even tells them, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed. He's given them the other side. He's given them the severe side and scared the daylights out of them. And he should have. But he's trying to give them some hope now, some confidence. Uh, because they really are in this mixed state. He's not really sure which way they're going to go, you know. But he's persuaded that, that, um, that they're going to make it. For God's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor and love which you have showed toward his name and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show, every one of you, we desire that all of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope and to the end that you be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience. That's not eternal life. You don't get saved in eternity by faith and patience. This is salvation at the judgment seat of Christ. By faith and patience inherit the promises. I just read uh, M.R. Dehan, the great radio preacher. He's an author I always loved when I first got saved. And uh, I'll, I'll end with one of his quotes. He wrote a commentary on Hebrews. He gets pretty close. He gets pretty close. He kind of misses the rest, is the millennial kingdom and things. He kind of misses some of that. But, but a, a very, very good commentary on the book of Hebrews. A wonderful radio preacher, wonderful author. M.R. Dehan says in 1959, But what about those who become bitter and rebellious? He may either take them by death, or cease dealing with them here and take them out of service. That's what it means in Hebrews 6, the falling away. He just stopped dealing with them. Dear Holy Father, these things are frightening to think about, God. Lord, may people please, may your people please understand that they're not guaranteed another day and that as you show in chapter 10 of Corinthians and chapter 11, so many other places, sometimes, God, you just take us out of here early, before our time, as Solomon tells us. God, we don't want that to happen to any believer. And I've seen it happen, God. I can give a list of them. That I know were in sin when they were taken out, God. They were grumbling and bitter and mean and nasty. And you took them out, Lord. But Father, I also know that there's not just this danger of being judged by physical death. There's this danger of being turned over, God. Of being hardened by sin. Well, you no longer strive with us, Lord, because we won't respond to your word or to your discipline.
Let not this happen to any of us, God. I pray it hasn't already happened, Lord. May we all take advantage of this day of mercy that you've given us, God. A day of grace and patience and another chance, God. Today you gave us another chance. Your rapture did not occur. Physical death did not occur for any of us. And God forbid that we've had our candle put out. Though that might have happened. We love you, Lord. We do want you to come quickly, Lord, but we, we want to be ready for that day. Let us honor your church. In Jesus' name, amen.